passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Rewind the dynamite from the post-wrestling site. AEW, lighting up the fuse. Sit back and enjoy the bubbly. As we hear from John and Waiting. Where we're going, we don't need roads. And if the buck stops here, this thing might blow. Everything you hear, opinions of the show. And if you don't like it, go to the forums and let them know. Everybody, it is John Pollock and Waiting. It is Rewind to Dynamite for Wednesday night, December the twentieth. Hello, Way. Hi, John. How you doing? I'm doing well. Are you excited to talk to me? Of course, as always. Why? I feel you, you and I have been talking together for a long time this week, but I can always I, I can always do with some more Waiting. What are you talking about? I mean, last we spoke was Monday, Monday night. Are you? Well, you know what? So, sometimes we text. Sometimes we call each other and just. uh the breeze as it's almost say. as if we spoke in um you know um like like we were maybe recording a six hour show this week i don't even <laughs> want to guess i don't even want to guess what's going to be uh coming down it's going to break people's phones on uh, christmas eve but yes the christmas show is coming that means the jingle contest is coming and uh i'm looking at my watch and folks you've got about uh 10 hours left to get your jingle in by noon Eastern on Thursday, forum.postwrestling.com is where you can submit your jingle and it will be played on the Christmas show. And I think maybe maybe we'll we'll scrounge together the uh the Christmas prize pack. IE I'm cleaning out my basement and um maybe I'll we'll just send off some uh random random S- stuff. S- prizes from the personal collection of John Pollock. Well, I don't know. It uh I wow. The one, the drawback to um, my my reading frenzy is that I really like buying books, but dude, I'm I'm running out of room to put all of these books. Like if you could see, like every shelf is covered with books. Right. So how are you going to choose what to give away? Um, the books you don't want, or or like we do, we don't. You don't want to just give crap away. I'm not. No, no, no. It would be good stuff. It'd just be stuff I don't have room for. Like I have a bunch of posters here. We um, we'll figure out something. I I feel we should give something to. to should well, we obviously, them? yes, yeah. yes, as we do every year. But um, maybe, maybe this year we can actually announce. The do, they, do they want a CD player? Do they want a carpet? <laughs> no, we'll yeah. find out. You know, this is this is the toughest part of the year for my my reading hobby. This is when it really does become a chore because it's all strategic at this point. I've decided um, I'm not looking at my number until the last day of the year to figure out how many books I read this year. So I am at this point now. It is December twentieth. I think I can squeeze in two books before the end of the year, but it's very, this is not about pleasure reading. This is purely about getting that number up. So I'm looking at what will give me some kind of enjoyment to read. That's also a manageable read in this time to get. And I, and I don't cut corners. I don't read like 120 page books. Like it's, it's a real full length book. Um, 
So oh, what's I, your what's your target and where are you at? I don't honestly know where I'm at because I haven't checked since around October. My goal was like at the beginning of the year, it was one book per week. So I'm hoping to hit 52. Right. Okay. Yeah. I feel confident I'm I'm in striking range of that, but I, I honestly, honest to God, don't know. And I've had some I've had some pretty solid months. So we will see. Mm. We'll see how this one turns. Keep us updated. That's a very lofty goal. I think I'm at two. So you've already beaten me. Well, you know what? Maybe double your total in 2024. I, you know what? I have room for for growth, Abby. I like. Before that. we get, the, I'll save someone the super chat. What two books have you read this year? Um, I read actually. It might kind of might be a bit, a bit of a lie. I mean, honestly, I'm not really keeping track myself. I, I read Mox, uh, and I've read several Beatles books actually. So, um, so it might be more than two this year. Maybe a parenting book in there as well. Like I'm, I'm honestly not really keeping track, but my my retention is very bad, so it feels like two. Okay. Well, maybe it can be a goal for hit ten. Better retention. Hit ten. Yeah. How many of the fifty-two do you are you able to remember? I guess by the end of the year. I just I just read. You, you asked me before about reading fiction books, and I um and I typically don't read fiction, but I just read this incredible like murder mystery book. I was I was a little mm-hmm. disappointed that it it uh it ended. Um, it is called The Six Twenty Man. Okay, if you want to look this up, um great book it's not a not about a ricochet this the 620 man no this is about the uh, the train he takes in the morning and then uh everyone at his uh firm starts to die around him and he's uh, gonna get framed oh, for this murder it's uh it's crazy i i i thoroughly enjoyed this book and then i looked up this guy's read like or this guy's written like 75 books so i might uh i might check out some other ones but um <laughs> I, I mean i i could tell you great things about that book i don't think you would care um of course yeah, i, would. I uh, my my retention i would say is, is pretty good but like if if i if i'm reading something where the it, it is for like work purposes or something like i'm usually reading and, and taking notes as reading it so it is a bit of a like homework but but homework you enjoy on stats right. and information and just it's all gonna sit in my head I, I do need to like write things out you really are a machine it's it's very impressive i you mispronounce nerd but um i i appreciate it nonetheless mm-hmm I respect it. Yeah. Well, you know what? I took time out. Um, I took an hour and 40 minutes away from reading time on Tuesday to listen to the year ender for the wellness policy. Um, terrific show. Uh, some great calls to cap off another year on the post wrestling cafe. And um, thank you. Great so show. Much. Yes. Well, thank you very much. Yeah. Like, you know, um, every year at this point now, I think it's the, our third time that we've done it uh, at the end of the year for the wellness policy. We don't really have any topics and we just invite the space to either talk amongst ourselves or uh, open the floor to people that regularly listen. And we, as always, had some really tremendous calls. So um, I enjoyed the, the the two hours that we got to chat with everybody in the post wrestling audience. So you can find that podcast right now at postwrestlingcafe.com uh, for free or go to youtube.com slash postwrestling. Well, I enjoyed listening. I was tempted to call in. I can't believe you listen. I do. You, I do. It's not, I, was, I was working yesterday. I was like typing up stuff and it, it was nice. Like there's not too many shows I can listen to and work at the same time. But you guys, you're all very uh, soothing. And it, uh, it's just like it, it's like a lean back listen. You know what I mean? It's like mm-hmm. I'm not at the edge of my seat to like uh, transcribe your answers or anything like that. So it's, good, just a, good. it's just like a nice calm. It's um, it's like rain sounds, uh, but spoken word. I, I think that's exactly the goal. Yeah. When we sit down, we we say we want to sound like rain. Especially Neil. Yes. Neil is just uh no, he is <laughs> yes, I think so. I, I rain sounds would, would be how I would um uh rainforest. 
cafe oh, sense, maybe that's, would be that's how right. I would describe Jordan. Yeah. Well, um, I, I don't know what uh, what elements you might associate with Pollock and Thurston, uh, but today uh, we had Irv Mushnick on the show, who um, long time a journalist, uh, not just in professional wrestling, but he has written several excellent books. I mean, when you look at the Nancy Argentino case, I would say he was at the forefront of keeping that case going and Nancy Argentino's story alive. And then, you know, the Allentown morning call doing a big look into that case um, back in 2013. He has written books on Chris Benoit and, uh, and, and Nancy Benoit with the murder suicides in 2007 and wrote this significant feature that, I mean, I've gone back and read many times over the years. This was on the Von Erich family back in 1988 that he wrote for Penthouse magazine. So this was, uh, you know, when people say that I'm reading this for the, I, I read Penthouse for the articles. I mean, this is the real deal here. If if I was, uh, you know, covering stuff in 1988, I would have to go and buy Penthouse magazine to read this article. But it was a great, great feature on the Von Erichs and kind of exposed the the mythology that had been created about this family and uh, many of the cracks that had formed. And this is at a point that article was written before all of the death toll had really been felt. This was after David's death. This was after Carrie's motorcycle accident, but while he was still alive and after Mike's death, but preceded Chris's death in 91 and then Carrie's death in 1993. So uh, it was great to have Irv on, on the show, just someone I've followed for a long time, re uh, read a lot of his work. And yeah, he had a chance to actually see the movie this past week. And we did not really go into specifics on the movie because I know most people have not uh, gotten to see it yet uh but that show is up now if you want to check it out and next week do, do we want to uh, share our plans for the iron claw yeah i think so sure so next week we are not going to be doing our full slate of shows with no raw and no smackdown at least new episodes to review we are not going to be doing shows those nights however we're going to double up next wednesday night we will do rewind to dynamite and then we are going to uh jump out of this room and into the post wrestling cafe and we are going to be reviewing the Iron Claw. And uh, that will be our chance to go through our thoughts on the film. And it will give people uh, maybe some time to see the movie over the next week. Uh, once it is out there, you can see that the the cast, they are doing tons of media. They were on the Today Show. Um, I, I saw Jeremy Allen White on uh, Seth Meyers the other night. I mean, they're they're doing a lot of big media. So it is getting a pretty significant push. And I'm very curious to see what the word of mouth is, because I think it's going to be pretty strong from the from this this weekend, where it doesn't seem like it's the craziest weekend either uh, in terms of uh, film competition uh, this weekend. It's true, but it, I, I find it a bit of an odd uh, weekend. I mean, I imagine it was strategic, strategically you know, chosen for this weekend, but I imagine everybody would also have family plans. So how much time does that give people to go out to watch the movies? Um, curious to see how it performs. Yes. So we'll chat about that next Wednesday on the double shot for members at postwrestlingcafe.com. On that note, uh, is there, is there, um, ask away on Thursday, last thing, and then we will move on to the news, but, uh, we will be doing our final mailbag show on Thursday for the year. Uh, so go up to forum.postwrestling.com. This is your last call to get your questions in. Uh, we will answer all of them. So go to the forum or memo.fm slash postwrestling. And, uh, that show will be coming out for all cafe members. The final mailbag here. It's been a it's been a tremendous year of mailbag, as always. And we've 
received actually quite a few uh, voice memos, and that's free for oh. everybody to submit, even if you're not a cafe patron. So memo.fm slash post wrestling. We'd love to hear whatever you want to ask. Yes, within reason. Yeah. Let us move on to uh, some news items. And uh, coming up later, we're also going to be giving away some tickets to the Iron Claw. If you are in Canada, that's your only requirement. Uh, but let's talk first about CJ Perry and just do an update on her since we last spoke with you on Monday night. So she underwent surgery, seemed to go well. Uh, she posted a photo after the operation. And then today uh, she posted a brief message on Instagram and just gave some uh, information in terms of how this happened. And this is just such a like such a freak thing to happen. But she developed an infection in her finger after a small splinter entered her finger this was last wednesday at dynamite in arlington so i mean god like who has not ever encountered a splinter and this just seems like the odds of this happening just seem so incredibly tiny and Mm. if you saw the if you've seen the photos like it's just insane and spread to her arm so she hasn't really commented on exactly what the procedure how it went or what the like what, what what the recovery period is for something like this but hopefully they have caught it uh look whenever you're hearing something that is spreading to the arm it, it comes very concerning she said like this could have been fatal like this is mm-hmm. like nothing to just take lightly in any sense um she's extremely lucky very much so um and uh you know incredibly scary and maybe a reminder that hey like something that could feel small um anything you know is possible uh, and, and this was very unfortunate i hope she's kind of out of the you know the the worst of it um it certainly made me think twice about you know making sure that uh, a little cut that i might have from i don't know slicing up an apple um that i get that properly washed and maybe even bandaged um you never really know and and unfortunately she was one of the unlucky ones with this there is a emerging story uh this came from axios and it's it's somewhat pro wrestling adjacent but dealing with uh some significantly larger entities and they are reporting that uh warner brothers discovery and paramount global uh, have recently had merger discussions and uh, axios reports that uh, david zaslov who is the ceo of warner brothers discovery uh known uh colloquially within the professional wrestling community as mr zaslov as tony khan has referred to him as and uh, bob backish of uh, paramount they met this past tuesday in new york city and the the site notes that wbd currently holds a market value of about 29 billion dollars while paramount global just over 10 billion oh that's it eh? they, they have had a very rough uh, run of things and that's probably <laughs> why they are in these merger discussions but um axios also mentioned that zaslov has met with sherry redstone who is the owner of national amusements they are the parent company of paramount they have a significant amount of debt that paramount is in but the interesting aspect to this is that there have been all these discussions about the p- potential of warner brothers discovery and nbc universal merging so uh, alex sherman over at a cnbc has written his own analysis of this and he is using the analogy of kind of a love triangle here and is warner brothers discovery trying to get the attention of nbc universal by going and asking another girl out in the case of this being paramount global so th- this is how major billion dollar conglomerate in terms of uh uh th- these meetings these not so clandestine meetings and i mean in a larger sense 
you know, you have some real significant media heavyweights that are in talks to merging. And when we're mentioning Warner Brothers Discovery and NBC Universal, mm-hmm. obviously you can understand why there is, you know, some uh, level of connective tissue here with uh, professional wrestling when these are the two major entities that are going to be in the midst of renewal talks and the home of these two major companies. Is this really just a continuation of, you know, the eventuality of every company falling under one umbrella? Well, not if I mean, there is the the thought of like with Warner Brothers Discovery and uh, NBC Universal, like just the idea could one of these mergers go through just because of that thought of the, the amount of concentration that you're, you're talking about when you have multiple cable networks and all of it, you know, just just less less options and so much media consolidation. But I mean, typically it's very rare you see a lot of pushbacks on on the, these mergers and i don't think the the consumer it's for the better no nor the employees nor the industries i mean typically um, as we've learned this year mergers come with layoffs um decreased competition and uh, potentially huge ramifications for the wrestling world of course if the margins are diluted that is a cause for finding redundancy mhm yes So another interesting note is that on Thursday, it will be day number 91 after the last round of WWE cuts. And I just wanted to uh, list off here. These were the main roster performers that were let go. There were obviously others at the NXT and Performance Center level, but those typically are 30-day non-competes. But among the names that would be free to enter the, the market as of Thursday would include Mustafa Ali, Dolph Ziggler, Shelton Benjamin, Rick Boogs, Dana Brooke, Aaliyah, Top Dalla, Elias, Rick Moss, Emma, Mace slash Masse, Monsoir, Shanky, and Matt Riddle, who was also part of these uh, rounds of cuts. And I think obviously you're looking at names like Mustafa Ali and Dolph Ziggler, but I mean, in terms of star power, I mean, Matt Riddle is going to be a very interesting case of what interest or lack thereof there is among different wrestling promotions. He has floated already that he has had talks with MMA promotions without naming any and certainly seems open to the idea of fighting again. And there was a a poster going around where he is on this poster for MLW's next show on January 6th for a match with Jacob Fatu, although MLW has not officially announced that, but that was uh, a a poster that was going around uh, as well. But I mean, just starting with, with a Matt Riddle, you know, history would dictate way that if you have star power, there is going to be interest in you. But with Matt Riddle come is going to come a lot of scrutiny for companies that get into business with him. And I think that's what these promotions are going to be weighing. Is that something that we're just going to accept and hope that we can just battle through some negativity because this is a big star? Or is it just going to be a company stating we we just don't want to go this direction and have to go through those that that level of scrutiny yeah yeah um i mean the the market will really dictate it um there's certainly going to be blowback there's going to be criticism is it to a level that mm, will negatively affect the business of whoever chooses to you know hire uh, somebody like a matt riddle a controversial figure like a matt riddle um you know for a local indie that's looking to i don't know fill maybe what 50 people, you know, into a room, I, I don't think it, it'll really kind of affect any, anything, but for a company like MLW that I think relies on, um, a lot of goodwill on like a national level. And I think online buzz really, um, 
there, this this could be potentially um, a pretty negative look for him. But again, it depends on, I think, um, audience reception. And at this point, I think it's still a bit too early. You know, I haven't certainly seen any sort of clamoring for people wanting to see Matt Riddle um, back on the scene or in any sort of like, you know, big uh, potential, I, I don't know, series of matches or dream matches. Um, so, yeah, this one's a bit more of a, a risk, I would say. I ultimately see him landing somewhere. I mean, I just like history is pretty much undefeated when it when it comes to that and the idea of a company that yes there will be backlash in the immediate but in time that will die down and and it will just become you know it's the idea that you you get through the the beginning and then this person just becomes part of your roster um but it it is a balancing act especially when you're talking with like smaller companies if it's going to cost you fans going to your shows i mean that's ultimately the fan has the power to dictate if they want to support a company or not and i have no problem with that that's how it should be if you do not feel like you want to support a company you you don't have to the company is going to rely on the fact that you are ultimately not going to take that stand even if you're upset with it but he's certainly an, an interesting one here and definitely the biggest star of the bunch mustafa ali and dolph ziggler are interesting ones i would peg them as I mean, it comes down to what a Dolph Ziggler wants. I think he could have a real great run a la Matt Cardona of just going to many different companies. Maybe he doesn't have the desire to sign a contract somewhere and just sort of make his schedule. I think he'll get some really good um, payoffs at first. And if he's really savvy to the independent scene, he'll do very well. And Mustafa Ali, I, I think he's in a great position to hit the indies and I would state that he may be the favorite in terms of like how many AEW contracts are offered to class of free agents. Um, Ali would be on that list for me. I could certainly see that level of interest if he wants that. With Ali, I think we may, you know, find an answer as early as tomorrow at 1221 as Ali has uh, Mm -hmm. been on social media and teased something for December the 21st at 12. Maybe he'll release a list. Could be. Who knows? Um, so we shall see. I mean, we'll, we'll probably have a very clear indication of where we'll next see him. I agree with you. I think he's the one with maybe the most potential to succeed in this sort of, um, I don't know, indie uh, professional wrestling landscape. I guess, yeah, we're including AEW as well. I think Dolph Ziggler is a name that I can certainly um, – I wouldn't be that surprised if, like, you know, an AEW decided to pick him up. Uh, the, the, the idea of him going into the indies and maybe having, like, a Matt Cardona type of run is something I I – that's a bit tougher for me to to, to predict just because I don't know if I've, I've necessarily seen that desire um, throughout his entire, I don't know, tenure in the WWE. He never to me has felt like um, somebody who's been all that dissatisfied with maybe um, the last years of his status in the WWE. He to me has come across like a guy who's been kind of comfortable, you know, collecting that paycheck despite being booked in like a pretty – nothing sort of situation so does he have the desire to work for far less money doing much you know more physical and potentially violent um styles of matches i mean you know he could prove us wrong and probably uh, if he did have some really great earning years uh, oh yeah you're talking about a guy who was there since oh five oh four oh five he was in their developmental system i mean he had some very big years on the main roster as well and then the other ones are I'm always interested in the ones who have primarily only been inside of the WWE. Some when you look at a Rick Boogs, a Dana Brooke, um, 
who are some others? Elias, uh, Shanky, Ma- Masay Mansoor already, you know, making moves. They seem to be like two of the more hungry ones that that you'll yep. you might be hearing from. Yeah, yeah, because sometimes it's like, listen, you have a a Mustafa Ali who it's like he came up through the Indies, he knows what to expect, and mm. for others it might be a look at like, man. I'm now off Broadway and I'm going to a community theater. And that's a hard mental adjustment for some to make when you were, you're, you're going from one setting to the other. And, and then Shelton Benjamin, here's a guy who is 48 years old. And I think there, there will be interest in a Shelton Benjamin. I guess we'll, I, I, I guess we'll see what, what the market uh, w- would dictate for a Shelton Benjamin. And I think it comes at a time where TNA seems to be in a bit of a more aggressive mode and we mm-hmm. shouldn't discount them from the mix. And if I was any of these people, I would be looking at TNA, even if it was not the same level of money that I might be able to get elsewhere. Um, in terms of having a spotlight and go there for a year, I think TNA could be really beneficial for some people. Like Riddick Moss is someone he could do really well for himself if he finds the right uh, setting. Moss and Emma. I mean, I could see those two, you know, heading as a pair uh, to, to Impact Wrestling or sorry, TNA. Or I, I, I mean, there's a lot of room for talents to flourish creatively and also as, as in-ring prospects. Um, it's it's a much smaller stage than what AEW could provide. But um, people do break out, you know, like you do hear buzz about certain people from Impact. So it's a chance. And then Shanky, the, the big one. It could be the biggest signing in TNA history. It could be. It could Among be. Among one of. Uh, the literal one. Uh, AEW Revolution, the latest update as of Tuesday afternoon from WrestleTix. 12,379 tickets distributed. So tickets continuing to move at a really nice rate for the March 3rd event. And I did look this up. So the the wrestling attendance record at the Greensboro Coliseum was WWF Unforgiven in April of 1998, which topped uh, one of the Starcades, I believe, from 86. And the Unforgiven show did uh, 21,427 in the building and uh, 20,268 paid. So that's with uh, certainly a different stage setup when we're talking about a WWF show from 1998. I don't know what the configuration is going to be for AEW of what they can max out. But um, yeah, time will tell once we, um, you know, if they continue at this rate to see how high they can get. That seems ambitious to be. Um, getting that high. And I don't even know if they could end up fitting 20,000 in there, but I would think conservatively that they could probably, if if you're at 12 now, I would say 17 to 18 would be something to aim for once you have an opponent and the real build for this card, which I think is going to, the momentum will be very significant in the like week to 10 days before. I totally agree. I think without even having anything, but sting having his retirement match announced, you're already doing this much. Um, I, I think it's already a success, you know, just based off of um, this this uh, first day or first week sale and uh, without even a storyline. Um, this could we'll be see. their number two show of the year. With- well, I was going to ask on pay-per-view, like where where do you see this ranking among AEW's calendar year um, just on in terms of international success? If if they top uh, 15,000, uh, the only thing that's going to compete is I, I would say if they do another big pay-per-view in Toronto at the Scotiabank Arena, they could top it. Um, but yeah, this I, at worst, this is going to be like 
fourth for the year, most likely, depending. Well, not mm-hmm. knowing what buildings they're booking and what what uh, they're going to have, but I'm I'm pretty confident this is going to be among their most successful shows of 2024. And if you're Tony, I'm sure at this point going forward, you're going to use Sting, you know, for, like pretty often, but but in very safe, sparing situations because you you definitely don't want to risk any. Do we even see much a dive? Or, or maybe uh, maybe on a pay-per-view uh maybe is, he's not on world 10 so we're not going to see him there and this is the next pay-per-view right so do right. we have justification for a sting dive between now and revolution there really is not that reason unless you want to promote maybe sting's final match on television or something like that you promote sting's final dive I okay think sting's final dive well you probably have to pay for that one that that's going to come in green Collision on Saturday night did 457,000 viewers, a 0.15 in the 18 to 49 demo. So it was pretty much uh, comparable to the week prior. They were like negligible difference in audience and up 4% in the 18 to 49 demo. So this was going against uh, a bunch of college football games while the previous week was going against deadline. So number one, that collision show held up really well against deadline and they stayed consistent uh, for this past Saturday night's event. Raw on Monday night did 1,562,000 viewers and a 0.47 in the demo. So they were up 7% in viewership, up 2% in the demo. And what was interesting here is that last week they were going against two Monday night football games at the same time. This week they were against one game. However, the combined audience last week was only like 300,000 viewers larger than the one game this week. So it's not like we had all these different football fans watching different games last week. It seemed that like, Everyone who watched Monday night, they just came back and they watched the one game uh, this week on the different networks. Hmm. Okay. There you have it. A, co- a cool 19 million. N- n- nice if you can if you can uh, uh, appeal. But they they stayed like they had like their third hour drop, but not a gigantic one. And in the 18 to 49, like they had a five percent drop throughout the show. So it was pretty consistent show in terms of uh, attracting people. And I would say for a show that. Number one had a football game against it and no CM Punk on the show. Um, This was a a pretty good number uh, during football season. And the last one was NXT on Tuesday. This was the taped show that did 641,000 viewers and a .17. So with all the spoilers out, ruining this show, destroying any interest in this show, it meant a 6% drop from last week's show. That was the difference, 6%. Mm. So, Uh, Yeah, I I don't think it means a whole lot. Did you see any of NXT? I did not, but I I saw the angle involving uh, Ridge and Ilya Dragunov. Did you have any thoughts on on the angle, how it was executed? Um, I I certainly saw a lot of controversy from people debating about whether or not it's tasteful, you know, to essentially use like a real life situation of of uh, Ridge Holland and, and Biggie and turning that into Ridge Holland's character. Um, for me, I I I feel like it's it's fair to to you know. Mm, take a point of reality and to um dramatize it um i don't think it was like for me watching it i i did i never felt like it was real like i to me it 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 maintained like sort of like the the illusion of like this being a a form of fiction it i just didn't have that negative of a feeling to it yeah i I, i'm i'm more similar to you i mean watching it i'm like you're supposed to think of Big E. I can't say I was watching mm. this and not thinking about that. There was also the Elton Prince injury as well that he was involved with. And I think that's going to be the story. Like here is this guy that is um, not aiming to injure people, but this has happened to him. Number two, I could not fathom that this is happening without uh, 
Biggie's acknowledgement and and sign off on it. I think that would be a different case if this was uh, if he was not aware of this. And um, yeah, I, I didn't I didn't have the the issue. Like I can see how people can connect to something that was uh, traumatizing. If you if you watched it, you're a fan of Biggie, and I mean, there's a chance that this man's career is over now that we are coming up on nearly two years since the injury. Um, but I think you you can do a story involving Ridge Holland that does not have to be a a tasteless or exploitive one. And mm-hmm. I, I think there is sort of that knee jerk when you're watching these angles that that is the direction these can go. But mm-hmm. I, I did not feel that on Tuesday. Mm-hmm. All right. There you go. Those are your uh, ratings, notes and news. So we're going to take a short timeout. And then on the other side, we are going to be giving away tickets to go see the Iron Claw. So stay tuned and get set as we hook you up with tickets. It is 2024 and tracking technology from advertisers, ISPs and hackers is getting more sophisticated than many of us can understand. Something you can do to give yourself a bit more peace of mind this year is to protect your browsing by investing in a trusted VPN like NordVPN. Voted Best VPN for Privacy of 2023 by Security.org, Nord is one of the most established and reputable VPN providers in the field. NordVPN is also something I use every day to access geo-blocked online streaming services like AEW+. By far the best way of watching AEW programming commercial-free with on-demand access to AEW's entire TV archive. But perhaps the most value I've gained from using Nord has been the ability to unlock cheaper prices to online content from other parts of the world. Plus, when you sign up at nordvpn.com slash postwrestling, you get four bonus months on top of all two-year plans. That works out to $2.88 a month, so it's already paid for itself several times over. Again, $2.88 a month when you sign up at nordvpn.com slash postwrestling. Check the link in the show description. Sign up with code postwrestling, get yourself some bonus months, and let NordVPN know you found them through us. This post-wrestling podcast is brought to you by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Financial literacy can be daunting, but it's one of the most valuable things you can equip yourself with. On NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast, their trusted financial journalists offer easily digestible, conversational discussions on topics like balancing your portfolio. If you think an ETF is one of Cena's five moves of doom, this show might be for you. Planning for your tax bills this April, so you don't have to worry about a visit from Erwin R. Scheister and putting away more money for retirement. Because unlike most wrestlers at the end of their careers, most of us should only plan on retiring once. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. And now, who is ready to go see the Iron Claw? Because way we have three pairs of tickets to give away. The only qualifier is that you have to be able to get to a Cineplex theater in Canada. So we don't even require you to have citizenship and proof. As long as you can get across the border and make it to a Cineplex, you're more than welcome to enter this contest and have your chance to see the Iron Claw. Why you would be uh, traveling cross-country to see this show? Well, I mean, <laughs> it's always tickets. better in Canada. Yeah. You know how expensive it is to go to the theaters these days, John? Okay, if somebody from um, Brazil wanted to go see the Iron Claw, I mean, it might make as much sense to buy a, pl- a pair of plane tickets to get to a Cineplex theater in Canada to watch this movie for free because we're giving away three pairs of tickets to see the Iron Claw at any Cineplex theater in Canada during its theatrical run. So you can redeem these vouchers for any time and date when the Iron Claw is in theaters. And all 
we want to do is ask you a question. What is your most memorable wrestling experience of 2020? Please also state where you're from and you can enter your answers in the Rewind a Dynamite podcast post at forum.postwrestling.com. So where you usually see this podcast posted, simply leave a comment under there. Again, we're asking you to tell us your most memorable wrestling experience of 2023. The contest is only open for 24 hours. So Thursday, 10 p.m. Eastern time is when we will announce a winner. Three winners with the best answers will be notified through the forum, direct messages, as well as their associated email. And we would like to thank the Tower Group for supplying the tickets. Go see Elevation Pictures movie, The Iron Claw, based on the true story of the inseparable Von Erich brothers in theaters this Friday, December 22nd. And on that note, in addition to the chat we did with uh, Irv Mushnick uh, earlier today and next week, Wayne and I will do our, our review of The Iron Claw. I'm also scheduled to chat with the director, Sean Durkin, uh, with that interview scheduled to come out on Friday. So unless I get thrown a curveball, uh, you can look forward to that on Friday uh, once the film is out. So there you go. The Iron Claw covered from all different angles. Mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to that interview a whole lot. Let's move on over to Dynamite, the holiday bash at the Paycom Center in Oklahoma City. Uh, over 4,000 people, or I should say tickets distributed, according to WrestleTix. And man, there's no uh, traditional opening, no pyro, boom. It swerves entrance. We're not wasting any time. We are getting right into the final round-robin matches in the Gold League with Swerve Strickland taking on Roosh with Swerve at nine points and Roosh with six. Mm-hmm. And they are battling way for the modern American Triple Crown, as Excalibur referred to it as. I hope that is... Uh, not going to be the full name of the thing because that's a mouthful. Right. Um, was there um, a, a non-modern um, American Triple Crown? Uh, no. The throwback American Triple Crown. <laughs> the the modern American Triple retro. Crown. Yeah. Hmm. I wonder if there's a workaround. Maybe Triple Crown. Can they not just call it Triple Crown? I don't know. Roosh has got his uh, quad taped up. Swerve has his right shoulder taped. So those would be the targets of uh, each individual. And we saw Swerve delivering a German suplex on the floor. We go through the picture-in-picture break, and Swerve takes a German onto the shoulder. And then Swerve lands his own uh, double boot. Both men go down. And then the bull's horns is set up by Roosh, but his knee buckles. So Swerve goes to the single leg crab. And at this point, man, this audience, they were already in this kind of a setting pro swerve but as the match continued he worked as the baby face and the audience mm-hmm. it was like they had permission to just go nuts for swerve and it just grew and grew throughout the match they're fighting on the edge of the apron and swerve runs into a belly to belly and takes a big fall to the floor further injuring the shoulder and roosh misses a senton off the top so swerve climbs up 450 splash but roosh kicks out at one huge response to that Rolling flatliner by Swerve rotates to the brain buster. Crowd is getting very animated. And then he hits the house call, climbs to the top, and he waits. He waits for the crowd to get to their feet, hits the Swerve stomp as the crowd is chanting his name, and he wins in 14 minutes and 53 seconds. And this goes nuts as Swerve wins and moves to 4-1 and one and 12 points. Mm-hmm. Very good match, I thought. You know, as I think um, all their performances have uh, been thus far for Roosh and Swerve, um, I thought... 
there was some really good storytelling here, taking advantage of this being the final match of this round robin section of the tournament with their established injuries. I mean, it shows you, first of all, the difficulty of the tournament, and it automatically gives you a set of stories for the match. I also felt like, I mean, essentially, you have two baby faces in this match with Roosh and also with Swerve, who really is a baby face at this point. Uh, and I thought both of them used their injuries to their advantage to elicit a, a good amount of sympathy. It's a match that I thought totally worked. Uh, I thought the crowd really helped this one and Swerve is just continues to break through as this big, big star on the horizon for the company. And what what I liked about all of the matches tonight, I mean, even Mark Briscoe and Jay Lethal, it still meant something like there was still something to fight for, for all six of these guys. Mm -hmm. And for the other two matches, like there, there were tons of stakes involved because this was going to paint the picture for the semifinals next week. So I found this was like, they put a lot of work into this tournament and now you're at the end of it and sort of the tournament, the storytelling has provided you this, this foundation to just be really engaged in who was going to win, who was going to lose and the different scenarios laid out. So they explain with Swerve winning that if Moxley wins or draws with Jay White tonight, then him and Swerve advance to next week's semifinal. If Jay White wins, there will be a three-way tie, and they explain it will just be a triple threat in the semifinal next week. So regardless, Moxley is in the semifinal next week. It will just be a triple threat, and the winner would advance to the final. Did they actually say a triple threat at this point in the show? They already told I, you? I don't know if it was this early. I actually had oh. a few like audio uh, cutouts that I saw other people having as well. So I don't. Yeah, know I did I, too. Like yeah. fight didn't even like uh, uh, watching it there. I, I didn't even get to see this, this graphic. So um, anyway, uh, whatever, like I love the fact that they gave you this even, you know, how often John have we watched the G1 and it's really just kind of up to the viewer and Chris Samsa, you know, to, to really kind of spell out those scenarios and Kevin Kelly and Chris Charlton, of course, but graphically, you never kind of got this sort of like visual support from watching the G1. So I was really happy to see like, you know, English speaking broadcast that like, like AEW um, be able to just kind of guide the viewer along and to spell out what could have been a pretty difficult situation heading into these finals. This is what you need to watch for. This is the outcome that we're all anticipating. And this is what happens if X beats X. So a really good match between Swerve and Roosh. We go to Chris Jericho, a very somber Chris Jericho backstage setting. And he explains that Kenny Omega is in the hospital due to diverticulitis. He was, he's going to be out of AEW indefinitely. And he, we won't know how long he'll be gone. Not going to be able to wrestle at world's end, but the most important thing is Kenny's health. And we're all pulling for him. You can hear the whole crowd chanting Kenny, and he acknowledges the chant and says, we'll all be here when you're ready. The Golden Jets will resume. And he says, good night and goodbye, but just for now. And the whole crowd, like they were just, um, you know, they took this as like this really like sentimental message from Chris Jericho. This felt like there was no there was no shtick attached with Chris Jericho here. It was just just felt like a heartfelt message for uh, Kenny Omega, who I'm sure like he is not out of the woods yet from the seal that he's uh, going through. Yeah, totally. Uh, I thought it was like a good, classy and very direct delivery from Jericho here. And I thought like his sort of tone effectively conveyed the the gravity of the situation. And interestingly, like they didn't announce any sort of like replacement match or alternative plans for Jericho. No, because I, I really felt like Sammy Guevara made the most sense to be the replacement. And they didn't I mean, they could st they still have 10 days until the show. They could go that direction because uh, that, that would be a pretty, you know, like that that's a significant match on the show um but you you got no hint of it here and and maybe just for the tone of it that they want like this is the first um 
this was the first acknowledgement, I guess, from from Jericho and really AEW on its own broadcast that maybe they just wanted to make this the news and not mm-hmm. so much focus on the match at this point and address it next week. Mark Briscoe and Jay Lethal both are 0-4 going for their first and only points of the tournament, and they start off with a clean and even wrestling match, and then Lethal slaps Mark in the face to draw out the chops, and then these two went Kenta Kobashi, Kensuke Sasaki, and they just chopped the hell out of one another. These were Lethal chops. I didn't mean to do that, but I just kind of fell into it. There's a handspring into the ropes by Lethal, knocking Briscoe to the floor. So Jay hits the Tope Suicida, goes for another, and he is caught and dropped on the floor so Briscoe can hit the elbow. And then he teases getting a chair involved. And then Mark hits a sliding drop kick through the ropes, grabs the chair, but not to use as a weapon, but rather to place in the ring, dives off the chair with a somersault dive to the floor. Crowd goes nuts for this. It's important to maybe note some of the things that took place during the commercial, because for whatever reason, this crowd during the commercials, they were chanting, we want chairs, we want chairs. And and let's give them credit, because one of the big things I think Tony Khan wanted to establish about the the, the, uh, C2 is the fact that you're not going to get any interference and you're not going to get any weapons usage. So they very much had the referees stick to they're not being chairs allowed. And I don't know. I have to imagine this was like a point of improvisation from everybody involved in the match. But like they did like a pretty much commercial break long tease of both Jay and Mark bringing in the chair before the referee would take it back out. And that only made these crowds chant, we want chairs that much more. So to have it all peak with this spot of Mark not necessarily using the chair, but jumping off of it was a very satisfying way of delivering a chair spot, but without actually doing this tournament. I mean, of all the weapons to chant for, maybe the easiest to incorporate in this setting. I mean, really tough if it was, we want fire. Uh, thankfully, they did not, did not chant. Or, or a table. I mean, hard to jump off a table in the ring to the floor. A bit tougher, sure. Yeah. So we get a Death Valley driver and the froggy bow by Mark, but he lands on the knees and the lethal injection gets avoided. So Jay Lethal hits the Jay Driller and Mark kicks out. Lethal goes for another, but then it's blocked and Mark catches the lethal injection, turns it into a burning hammer, and Mark wins with the J-Driller in 13 minutes and 53 seconds. And with both men on their knees, they shake hands, and Mark Briscoe gets his one win of the tournament um, that I would say has been his easily highlight of the year has been this tournament. Yeah. If we're talking about like an actual push significant spot rather than like a singular match, I suppose, right? I would agree. Yeah, in totality. Yes, I think it set him up for you know something of substance next year that like he to me really branched out. I think he was really trying to find his identity as a singles performer. And I think that this tournament did a great job of shaping that. I think he was really just looking for the airtime. And I don't know how much he was really receiving on Dynamite itself prior to, to this tournament. This and he had the injury an... as well in the middle there. Yeah, this gave you gives this gave AEW an excuse to put Mark Briscoe in a featured spot every single week on Dynamite, and he's despite not being booked to win much beyond tonight, like he's used it to his full advantage. And there's so much of a natural charisma about the man that I think will just come out if you put him in a prominent role on TV, and everybody got to see that. So, um, 
tonight I think was a prime example. The fact that neither of these two were fighting for anything of consequence in this match and the fact that this crowd was this engaged for this match and and, and they got such a great reaction. I thought, number one, you know, it, it's a testament to the both of them. It's also a testament, I think, to the booking of this tournament and to have these two sort of peak here because, yes, they weren't fighting for, for any sort of place in the finals, but you do have sort of the, um, the association of, of, of the Jay Briscoe tribute match attached to them. So they replayed it at the beginning of this match and it kind of gave this match like a special feeling of like seriousness even without any stakes attached to it um and it made jay lethal perform like a much more serious i would say babyface wrestler in this match as well so he's coming off of like um there's no points in this tournament and at least from last week with his like little interaction with the rest of his stable it's seeming like it's pointing towards more of a serious evolution for him so i mean there's storyline for jay lethal coming out of this you know what do you do when you've hit rock bottom went through an entire tournament and 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 scored nothing so i'm curious to see what they do with him they had highlights of mjf being inducted into the national jewish sports hall of fame from earlier this week um this was just a, a cool piece to to show and uh the shot at the end of him just walking like arm in arm with his mother down the hallway it's just uh, a heartwarming scene here with mjf and his mother. he's been very busy this man um you know doing a lot of media for this show i mean he's he's the star of this pay-per-view i mean in in long island and well i I just mean like the you know red carpet premiere for for the iron claw which he's an executive producer as well um i'm kind of surprised they they haven't made a bigger point of that um on AEW television itself you know the fact that he was so involved with this movie i i think there would have been a way to um position it that he does have an he legit has an executive producer credit on Mm -hmm. on the film um and and i don't know what maybe the original cut of the film was but like as you know like his role is exceptionally in the film it's a cameo you might miss it if you are not really paying attention so i mean there is that but it's the executive credit well yeah i I certainly could see them like maybe playing that up a bit more like it was um you know when the credits run it's like his name is boom up there on its own in block letters like uh, Mm -hmm. like he's like one of the top credited names at at the end of this so Mm. uh then we had another wardlow video who said the clock is ticking for mjf we're getting closer and closer to his world ending soon the world will see him broken and the payment for his sins cannot be delayed any longer and he will be the one to bring the devil to his knees. So they are definitely teasing, or at least want you to be of the belief that there is some angle coming at the pay-per-view with Wardlow in some form mm. or fashion. Not so much necessarily that he is the devil, but um, like this is like this is pretty heavy-handed here with like the the world will be ending. Right. Yeah. I'm I'm curious to see what what they have in store. Um, and, and how Wardlow somehow intertwines with this devil thing. Um, because at the moment these maybe purpose purposefully are, are just kind of feeling like kind of generic tough guy segments on the surface, at least, you know? Um, and I hope it's not just that. And it, it's something a bit more uh, complex. So we'll see. I mean, I'll be honest. Like, I don't really think about Wardlow um, after these shows at all. Like he feels so low in, in importance compared to everything else MJF is involved with. Samoa Joe comes out. First of all, pr- pretty hot crowd in Oklahoma City. Like they were mm-hmm. into like most of the stars on this show. He said he states he is still seeking answers and he goes over the different attacks by the devil. But we got to see all the footage of it, but never saw footage of MJF being attacked like everyone else. So he calls out MJF and 
MJF brings up how Joe said he would protect him before the pay-per-view and he does an impression of Samoa Joe. That was pretty good. And calling him his property and says, you care about your property about as much as you do your diet and says that the goons never laid a hand on you, Joe. And I don't like you. I don't trust you. And why are we waiting until December 30th? But before they can come to blows, the goons run out and Joe and Max fight them off. They clear the ring and then the lights go out and the devil appears on the screen. And he too has enlisted in, uh, in, in subtitles text to convey his message. Where can you go? Who can you trust next week? Will you accept the challenge for the ROH tag titles? Are you a hero, Max? Mm-hmm. So what are you saying? That maybe the, the devil doesn't speak English? Uh, maybe the devil is Chris Hero. Oh, okay. Uh, yes. Uh, but he has booking power. So add, add that to the fuel of a... Right. Um, but yes, it looks like we're going to get Joe and Max teaming up next week to defend the ROH tag title. So the, the, the devil, he does have ambitions of getting these ROH tag titles under his control. Right. Uh, yeah. Specifically, it sounds like his... his... One of two of his goons will be challenging for the championship, and great. Um, it yeah, I don't think the devil will be wrestling. You know, uh, I I find it interesting that they're going to do it because um we're going to have to see two of these minions actually wrestling in ring, and it's one thing well, to this have... is what they were going to do a few weeks ago when Max first uh, injured his shoulder. They were going to do Joe and Max against two of the goons, and then right, that's okay. crap. Yeah. And, you know, it's one thing to have like a bunch of sort of faceless guys come out and surround them and, and, and beat them down. It's another to have them actually wrestle matches because it's going to be potentially the biggest tell we'll have of who might be under the mask. And I don't know if they've been using the same people under these masks or, or not, but I have to think if there's any sort of hint about who they might be, they might give it tomorrow. Like what's or sorry, next week, like what what moves are they going to do? What signature moves may, may we see that will uh, continue to tease? Well, every goon knows are. how to do a collar and elbow tie up. Right? The most dev- devastating move of uh, in AEW uh, at the moment. Yeah. So Max goes to ask Joe about teaming up and Joe accepts on their behalf, they're going to beat their asses next week, they state. Renee is with the best friends, including Rocky Romero, who mentions losing the historic welterweight title last week to Moscow Dorada. And just out of nowhere, Orange Cassidy gives him a title shot on ramp on Friday night, which Rocky, Rocky did say, like, he, Rocky says he's on a hunt for gold, but not specifically Orange Cassidy. Orange just volunteered his gold to the one year after. Yeah. Remember when, um, did we not get Hook and uh, Wheeler Yuta agreeing yeah. to a ftw rules match like a while ago did we ever get that uh someone tell me in the chat if i I just i'm totally (laughs) blanking on this match but i know that there was a challenge for an ftw rules match and i don't recall it ever happening right um well i'm not saying it didn't happen but i'm 90 percent sure it didn't anyway brian's is not yet in the chat room and i'm sure brian's more than on top of it so We're, we're waiting maybe ftw rules are my time, my place. There's no limit on mm-hmm. when I can set the match. Tony Storm comes out with Luther to join commentary and says that Taz is her favorite landlord, the human <laughs> duplex machine. Pretty funny. Probably a t-shirt. Soraya takes on Riho, and uh, Ruby Soho is watching in the back while uh, Soraya hides behind a security guard on the floor and then lands a sucker punch. Rio then gets swung into the guardrail. We fight through the break, and then Rio comes back with a tiger faint kick and then goes for a high cross, and she nearly comes up short. And, dude, Soraya mm-hmm. had to just try and catch her coming down because this was a, a short high cross. 
and uh, Rio just transitions to the cross face. Soraya lands a kick as Rio comes off the top, but then Rio recovers with the Northern Lights, a double stomp off the top, and then the running double knees, and it is Rio pinning Soraya in 7 minutes and 42 seconds. So Tony Storm and Rio at World's End. Yeah, a rare Soraya match on, on TV, and um, I I do continue to see limitations you know, in her in-ring style. Um, and maybe that's just kind of uh, supported by the fact that her appearances at this point are still so infrequent, uh, at, at least in a, in a wrestling capacity. Um, but it was enough to provide the match to get to where they want to go. Uh, I will say it was probably below AEW standards for me. This one, I actually thought one of the highlights to this week was Tony Storm on commentary. I did not find her overbearing this week. I thought her lines were actually really funny. So to me, at least this week, I feel like they found a good balance of how much stick to maybe interject into the body of the match itself i think she was breaking excalibur on a few of them she's very like she's legitimately she she is not going to break in this character like she is totally like committed Mm -hmm. to to the act so tony comes down to the ring and inspects riho and then attacks her and riho lands the tiger faint kick and makes the signal for the belt when mariah may blasts her from behind with a belt shot and Tony Storm is confused and looking at Mariah May, uh, but Luther carries her away. And this was Mariah May stepping up for Tony Storm. I guess I'm not entirely sure what like the, the what was the feeling conveyed here with with the Storm and and May that that Storm doesn't know her or or is just surprised that she would help. Why would it she? Felt, be it felt to me like this was the first time Tony Storm found some usefulness who has just been tagging along for all this time. Like she can actually be of some assistance to me okay and that was that's how i read it from the the facial expressions right interesting okay um so you know riho has been getting really good reactions despite really not having any sort of promo time um but the crowd loves her and and they love her simply through her in-ring performances so she feels like a pretty like good challenger but i don't think anybody buys her winning and part of that is because there's just been no grudge told here we don't know Viho's motivations. The entire story has been at this point really about Tony Storm and Mariah May. They've they're, they've been the ones to receive all the attention, and it's fine for TV. But I think if you're trying to like get people a, a, a bit more sort of invested in a world title match, I think I think they need to do a bit more to tell us the personal grudge between these two or at least convey something about why we want to see Riho win and beat Tony Storm. So they have one week to do that. Um, let's see if they do. It would be nice to like they I'm sure they will do something of note on the countdown, but I I don't think that's enough. It would be nice to get something more than she's just she's won this match and is the challenger of the month. Like something it just feels like another exactly like another obstacle, you know. Then Tony Schiavone has a prepared statement from Christian Cage, who has instructed Tony to read this word for word. He insults Oklahoma City and called it a career-defining win when he beat Adam Copeland and he has taken his protege Nick Wayne on vacation, but will return this Saturday on Collision to address Copeland's challenge for the no-DQ match at World's End. I thought this totally worked. I mean, usually they might pre-tape something with Christian, but like having a statement read by Tony Schiavone, um, I thought really worked. It just basically told you he was too important to be here and was a good way of, I think, generating or announcing this appearance. I just thought there was so much more material that you could have had fun with Tony Schiavone being forced to read, like making like a crack about like Shayna Wayne and like saying like just every Christianism. But Tony has to read these like straight as well. But yeah, this is fine. Fine segment. MJF and Joe are in the back. 
and MJF leaves Joe and he's walking down the hallway and sees a devil mask laying on the floor in front of the mogul affiliates locker room case closed, right? This is, this is it. It's the smoking gun. So he knocks on the mogul embassy's door and Prince Nana answers the door and asks what this is about. And Swerve comes out and we get MJF and Swerve face to face. And what ensued was maybe the best five minutes of spoken word dialogue on AEW programming this year. A sign like this was a trailer for maybe like the big blocks blockbuster movie that you might see from, you know, AEW studios next year. MJF brings up their history and riding together on the road and Swerve calls him. Yeah, you were my chauffeur and says that MJF has been ducking him. MJF says, I've been ducking you because there are levels to this shit. And your theme song isn't on, which means your star power isn't on. Swerve brings up the famous email that William Regal sent him where he got rejected after his tryout and then says, See, that's the difference between you and me. You do tryouts. I sign contracts. And the last person that disrespected me was hung in front of 13,000 people with a chain. MJF retorts, solid monologue, bro. I'm impressed. MJF says, you talk about hangman quite a lot. A lot. You better check your tone and watch your mouth. And those you can take out those hand-me-down flavor flavor grills in your mouth. And jokes about how in all his interviews, Swerve is begging to be champion, which isn't a great look. And thinks you are the type of person that would frame Hangman and create a clear path towards the title. And asks him straight up if he's the devil. He says, this might be your house, but I'm the big bad wolf and I'll blow your house down. And while I'm at it, I'll break both your arms so you can always swerve when you drive. Swerve says, I'm not the devil, but if you keep waving that title in front of me, I will bring you hell. And with that, Samoa Joe returns to see what's going on here and takes MJF off as they have business elsewhere. So let us just fast forward to the program of 2024. Um, This was excellent. Excellent, excellent, excellent. Um, Very clear from this interaction that Swerve is next in line. Maybe not directly next, you know, but he's he's in store for a world title program with MJF. And it seems like they're they're going to be treating this one like it's a big one. Um, this first interaction between the two gave me a lot of hope for the potential of this being one of AEW's most important title programs. I thought there was incredible chemistry just from this little bit alone. You got some great lines from MJF. You've got some great retorts from Swerve. It's the time. Like the timing is right for Swerve right now to potentially beat MJF. I think a lot of us have been saying that even before the Hangman Page match. Uh, but now especially, he is probably the most serious like contender that MJF has had in quite a while. And whether or not Swerve wins this tournament, in fact, this might even give you more reason to believe he's not going to win the tournament. I think um, so. And I mean, I, I really have no issue with like, I mean, we, we can state like add the number of, programs of mjf and these opponents coming after him i really don't have an issue with like this is not happening at the next pay-per-view that we can plant this seed Mm -hmm. but it would be before seeing this segment i mean this was just so great that the fact is in 10 days you're paying for a pay-per-view that is not this match that this to me this is bigger than anything they have done to promote the joe match and i Mm -hmm. just if i had put this on paper 
I mean, I couldn't have imagined it being this level of quality that they put out, like to be above even my expectations of a strong segment. Like it was a tr- tremendous segment um, that I think your your fan base is just wanting, wanting to fast forward to get to this, which could be several months away. Sort of the risk you take, right? When you're trying to, you know, uh, juggle multiple feuds at, at the same time, um, some are going to be anticipated more than others. I mean, do you even remember what Wardlow said after watching something like this? You know, how how excited are you for that potential program coming off of, you know, watching this, right? Um, that doesn't mean they shouldn't do it, though. You know, I think long term long term teasing is, is ultimately a good thing. You're I feel so much anticipation for this just simply coming off of uh, this. And, I, you know, we're all going to pay maybe that much more attention to, to Swerve now that we know that he's truly at a top main event level um next my for a championship run great great segment um, that mm-hmm. these two had they followed with roderick strong with the kingdom in his corner against commander and uh strong takes over during the picture in picture he's stretching commander and then commander street sweeps strong on the turnbuckle hits a phoenix splash and the crowd bought into his cover but strong kicks out and then the kingdom pull, pull roderick to the floor to avoid Commander coming off the top. So instead, he rope walks and moonsaults to all three. And as Commander goes for a springboard, he is met with a flying knee and then one of the most impressive end of heartaches ever because he got an extra rotation on Commander. So instead of coming down back first on the knees, he flipped and came down on on his gut, on the stomach, and strong pinned him in 956. Um Fine match, but excellent finish, I thought, with the end of heart. Mm-hmm. Like, this would be what you would call a filler match on this edition of Dynamite on a show where you had your last matches of, of the Gold League. I mean, this had no consequence. But for a filler match, you can never go wrong with having Commander in that spot. Like, he's almost, like, too good in that role that... um might kind of like <laughs> pigeonhole him into this spot, you know, like he's the oh, guy yeah. that... Like that the one thing like this was a great crowd. It was cool that they got into the Phoenix splash, but I don't think anyone believes commander is winning in any significant out. Like he is the, he is the fall guy. Yeah. Yeah. Which is kind of, unfor- I mean, Dante Martin was kind of in that role. And, and as a result, like, I don't know if those guys will ever, you know, get, get a real push because they're such like good filler guys. Right. Um, but I thought it was a great showcase for Roderick Strong as well. He really is, is at his best when he can do the Messiah of the back, backbreaker stuff with people that are either his size or smaller. And this was a great showcase for Roddy. So Taven and Bennett are hanging up. MJF is the devil signs while Renee enters the ring to interview Roderick Strong, who has put his neck brace back on, which I thought this was the whole thing was that he got rid of the wheelchair and he threw the neck brace away. I thought that was the end of this. I think he, I think it was just the wheelchair. I I, I feel like the, the oh. neck brace, he thinks it's still, um, I guess it's over enough okay. with and still a little ridiculous. You still have to sell the next strong t-shirts. Yeah, because I'm sure they're, uh, they're they just can't keep those on the on the rack. Um, he calls for Samoa, and he says it's obvious that Max is the devil. Hangman brought it up, and then he got attacked for his uh, accusation. It's time for Samoa Joe to finally listen, and he calls Samoa Joe his best friend by proxy. I will reserve all judgment until we get the payoff to this, but boy, it better be a payoff because I I, I love watching Roderick in the ring. These three together, this angle, this, the screaming the guy's name, it has more than worn me out. It's uh, just 
I, I'm not into this. Seems like one of the the remnants of like you know the 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 sort of comedy skits of uh, Adam Cole and MJF is, is is this Roderick Strong in the Kingdom stuff and uh, the Cole injury might have you know outside of Roderick Strong probably hurt the Kingdom and and sorry uh, outside of Adam Cole might have hurt Roderick Strong in the Kingdom the most because they're kind of aimless without uh, Adam Cole. I think they're trying to really use Samoa Joe as a surrogate, but it feels so awfully forced. Uh, and even tonally, I think they're strong. Sorry, Joe and MJF are getting a little bit more serious with their interactions. And to have this sort of very campy Roderick Strong in the kingdom vibe, um, it's funny. They're over, certainly, because of it. But um, now it kind of feels like it's it's overstaying its welcome. And, and it hasn't really evolved in a way that I think fits what it currently is. The lineup for Saturday's collision in San Antonio, which is uh, the hometown of Thunder Rosa. She will return. This is her first match since August of last year she will team with abaddon against julia hart and sky blue brian cage takes on keith lee the acclaimed and daddy ass defend the trio spelts against top flight and action andretti and then in blue league matches it's brian danielson against claudio brody king against daniel garcia and eddie kingston against andrade el idolo and there's way more possibilities with these um with these six where um what is it everyone but daniel garcia is mathematically alive I i believe and then uh, Christian Cage will also respond to Adam Copeland's challenge. So that, that looks like a really strong collision on Saturday. Very much so. The return of Thunder Rosa. Um, Danielson and Claudio. All, just all the league matches. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Jim Ross is brought out for the main event in Oklahoma City, making his return. Um, I'll just get it out of the way. I thought Jim Ross sounded tremendous in this main event. He came out. It felt as though... Like, I, I don't know the, the full details of, like, his contract status. Obviously, he's had all of his health issues, but he's been very open about the fact he does not know what his future necessarily entails in AEW. Dude, he came out here, and it was one of, one of I think, his best performances in AEW. He sounded so um, rejuvenated. There was no, uh, like, of the one-liners or comedy stuff. It was like, he added a lot to, to this match, and I, mm-hmm. I thought he did tremendous here i totally agree and i was watching this wondering if like i was alone in in feeling it because um i just felt like i hadn't heard jim ross like this sort of like i don't know clear in 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 quite a while like often um i think his performances have kind of felt like he's he's trying to catch up with the rest of of the team and and i I thought i I felt like he was like he was yeah, totally like he felt like he was worthy of the billing of being a special attraction that you only get to hear once in a while. There was something very different in a very positive way about Jim Ross. Yeah. yeah I, and I thought it was very evident right from the beginning and it, and it continued for the whole match. He is comparing mm-hmm. John Moxley to some of the mid South talent, like Bill Watts, Dick Murdoch, Butch Reed, and then compares him to Travis Kelsey. So one of the announcers asks what, what that would make Renee Paquette. Travis Kelsey is the boyfriend of Taylor Swift. So it would make her Taylor Swift. Yeah, I guess that answers the quote there. (laughs) So Moxley immediately goes for the choke and he's got the hooks in, then abandons that for a pile driver. So it's just um, total like um, hitting the gas here out of the out of the jump and then goes back to the choke. And they did explain here that it would be a three way. So maybe this was the first time that they mentioned it. Mm -hmm. But at least by this point, this was the explanation of Jay White win. Uh, They fought on the ramp and then. Jay White clips the knee of John Moxley, and this would be his focus throughout the rest of the match, attacking John Moxley's knee. He used a Muda lock, and then uh, 
John Moxley gets him in the corner, starts biting him, lands a suicide dive. He continues selling the knee. And then Jay White grabs two chairs and Bryce Runsberg is stopping him from getting the chair to be used as a weapon. So he throws the chair into the ring and Bryce sees this chair that is nowhere near either man, but he now has to go take care of this chair that is like 20 feet away. And as he does that, turns his back and Jay White uses the other chair on the knee of John Moxley. But that other mm. chair was taken care of. It was not in any any vicinity of either of the performers. So Bryce made sure that chair was okay. <laughs> I thought it was a, a pretty well executed, you know, cheating spot, right? I mean, if you they, accept that these referees are like dogs that you throw a tennis ball and they'll just naturally go, yes. I, I've seen a lot worse, okay? Uh, um, Like stupid refereeing than something like this. Like... Something I could say right now is that the the the, the uh, C two has done a better job of making the referees feel smart compared to the G one. I think there's a lot that we can take from this this tournament, and it mm-hmm. doesn't have to be a gigantic change to just lessening some of the what have become crutches in in some AEW matches. Uh, I think that you can certainly learn from this and look at how positive this tournament has been received from. Um, so the chair is. Um, with all that said, I thought like this is like one of the few weapon shots that we did have in the yeah. whole tournament, and it was done. That's going to have this effect now on Moxley for the rest of the tournament. Um, Moxley beats the count at nine and counters a Blade Runner into the paradigm shift, and White kicks out. So then White goes back to the knee, hits a dragon screw, and then Moxley connects with a knee strike, hits the cutter, and a sleeper suplex and Uranagi by White only generate a two count. So Moxley hits a short arm clothesline counters the blade runner hits the stomp and as he goes for the death rider it's countered and jay white hits the blade runner and he pitched john moxley in 15 and 11 seconds therefore setting up a triple threat for the gold league semifinal next week with jay white john moxley and swerve strickland with the winner going to the finals at the paper made me eat my words man i i didn't think they would go the three-way route um but I, the fact that they're just simply, you know, going to say top three finishers get to be in a match together, a triple threat to determine the winner. I think it's it, it's about as simple of a way as you can to uh, create a tiebreaker, essentially. Uh, so I guess my question is, what if it was a four way tie? Would it be a uh, four way? What if it was a six way tie? Maybe we'll find out in the uh, in, in the blue league. I mean, they hmm. have a they have a lot of people alive in in, in that particular one. But no, it's um. Yeah, it's fine. It's a a little gimmicky to go the the triple threat route, but I think you're you're trying to do multiple things here. Number one, I don't think they want Swerve losing another fall after mm. he lost to Moxley, and and I, I think this certainly opens things up that it would be. I mean, you, you can make your arguments for really any of the three to go to the final, but I would say that this does somewhat increase the odds of a jay white potentially go to the final I, I definitely don't discount that that option and we will see how it goes but i i think it should be an excellent match next week i mean yeah. should have high expectations for i think showing us the swerve njf interaction will probably um alleviate a lot of negative reaction that might come of swerve not winning this match next week because i think for a lot of people he might have been a front runner uh but at this point i i tend to agree i think jay might be the front runner um just to give us maybe a heel, you know, to oppose whether it be a Danielson or um, Eddie Kingston, Eddie you Kingston. know, uh, on the babyface side with the Blue League. So I think it's a very strong possibility. Um, I, I, I thought it was cool. It was a good way of like giving us like a surprise 
optimizing like outcome, you know, to, to this uh, round robin format while doing it pretty simply. So yeah, I'm in favor of it. And then the show just ended with Swerve walking out. Moxley is selling his knee. And then while the camera was on Swerve, Jay White clips the knee. So you actually missed the uh, the, the attack, but they did uh, focus on it after. So Moxley's going into this three-way with a banged up knee. And uh, that's the setup for next week. I thought this was a really and another, and, and a potential out of, you know, losing the match. Yes. Or not winning. Yes. Yeah. Um, I, I thought this was a really strong dynamite. I thought like I was interested in all three of the gold league matches and I thought all three delivered in different ways. And mm-hmm. man, you had a home run segment with Swerve and MJF uh, as well on, on yeah. the show. Like I thought, yeah, the the women's match was probably the, the weakest on the show, but I, I would say overall, I thought that this was a, a, a they, they've had a very good string of shows of late yeah. when you and that's including uh final battle like they're they're on a very good run and i think that the tournament has been a real this came at a great time for aew yeah. i think they've done a very good job establishing it and it's going to mean that much more next year because i think the first one you have to call a success if the point of the g sorry c2 was to like you know do a bit of rehabbing for maybe some of the criticisms of aew not being as, as serious of a product i think it's it's achieved that um these matches have have been anticipated and especially getting to the to the later rounds i i feel like they've they felt important and they've really carried these shows and and the performers themselves have really delivered i think in almost every instance i wouldn't say like actually some of the matches have certainly reached g1 quality maybe not at the consistency of of g1 but they are handicapped with like commercial bricks and all that as well but it, it it's a it's a still like a high level a, a, a high standard that i think this tournament has really set so I, i'd be looking forward to the next one especially if a will osprey is involved all right, that was Dynamite. If you want to share your thoughts, you can still get your feedback up at forum.postwrestling.com or send us a super chat. They will be open. So, Way, you direct us. Let's go to a super chat here from Jake Olinar, uh, the person who chose our Ultimate uh, Fighter review that you can find out, uh, listen to right now at on uh, Rwanda Way in the Post Wrestling Cafe. Jake sends ten dollars. Thank you for the support, Jake. He says I had the pleasure of attending an early fan screening of the Iron Claw last Wednesday. To me, I think this is even better than the Wrestler with Mickey Rourke, best wrestling movie I've ever seen. Okay. There's Jake's review hmm. of the film. Thank you, Jake. We will save our thoughts um, for next Wednesday on the Double Shot. Yes, we'll, we'll put up a thread too for be, before next week. So if you cannot uh, listen live, you can uh, you can share your feedback because I'm curious to hear from people uh, once they have a chance to see it. All right, uh, feedback to the show. We're going to start things off with Steve Grows Weed. Seeing Swerve interact with MJF was awesome. Really impressed with their star building when it comes to Swerve. He used an attempted kidnapping slash Texas deathmatch to catapult himself into being one of the biggest badass baby faces we've had in a long time. When do you think they'll pull the trigger on his title win? Think they can hold it off to all in next summer? Well, that's number one if you see that as the direction of putting the title on Swerve. But I would think that that's a, I think that that would be my choice to be the number two match at Revolution, the retirement match. Okay, yeah, right, yeah, because um, they that that pay per view needs a main event and st- well, uh, a title match, and, and Sting won't be challenging for the championship, or presuming, uh, m- most likely not. Although yeah. I did not hate that scenario when I was thinking of it, of not maybe the retirement match, but along the way, Sting going for the title one time. Yeah, uh, you could do it. I, I think it, you know for TV especially, but I don't see them doing it that big of a match. We don't even know if they're go- going to have Sting wrestle a singles match. He hasn't yet in AEW, mm-hmm. and there'd be certainly higher expectations with the with the title match. Um, I also don't think you'll get anybody buying it simply because you know he's not sticking around. So um, 
I don't even think you need to. I like it as a sort of second from the top, I suppose, if you want to call it that for revolution. Um, does Swerve have to win if he challenges or can he lose? He doesn't need to win, but I think I think this period is going to be very informative in terms of like, you know, th- this guy has a ton of momentum and I think he is going to be very much looked at as, man, is this like to me, he is as viable a candidate to unseat MJF and and run with this championship. I think he's in a great position to be that that candidate that I I mean, I if I'm looking at, at options here, like he would be like if Adam Cole was healthy, I would say Swerve still feels like the, the hotter character. So so at this point, do you think that they're still waiting for Adam Cole to be ready to take the belt off of MJF? Or do you think we're moving past that possibility? I mean, I I think down to the fact that they still haven't even stripped the tag titles off MJF tells you that they want to keep this story somewhat going. And, and I feel like yeah. y- you want to hold on to this. But at the same time, their idea may have been we get back to Wembley and it's MJF and Adam Cole again. But it's like you can plan things out a year in advance, but you can't you can't hold yourself to that if your no. audience is telling you something different. And it's not like the no. audience is rejecting MJF. It's more so this is just an endorsement of Swerve. And I mean, you can you can also get the belt back on MJF too at a, at a later date. Um, Agreed. So yeah, there's a lot of ways you, you can go with this. And, you know, we're getting way too ahead months wise. But, mm-hmm. you know, you have to be looking at who who is that figure on our screen that could really break through to a larger level than of a star that we have created. And then Swerve represents that to me, just where this guy can go, the attention he can draw for for you. And mm-hmm. also does not have that ex WWE stigma to him, even though he was somebody that was among those cuts. He feels like a completely different character in aew that has none of the remnants of isaiah swerve scott oh he feels like much like john moxley like an evolved version of what what we got to see i mean it it helps that he didn't have that much of a run in the wwe so he wasn't necessarily even Mm -hmm. defined by his wwe run but in aew he's he's certainly you never got this glimpse of of the talent you know that that you got to see you get to see now uh let's get to to a super chat here from andrew brown who sends five dollars to ask thank you for the support andrew he says can you see wwe attempting to do a round robin tournament with the success of the continental classic i mean hunter has loved tournaments um i could certainly see them doing one at, at a time it's it's an easy storytelling device that can take up multiple weeks of television um it it, it certainly can be done i would say I wouldn't say it was hasn't, hasn't NXT attempted like a smaller scale. Yeah, they just um they they just uh did did one uh earlier this year. Um I, I would say under this management, I'd say there's a there's a higher probability uh of the old way. I think the math would have just absolutely disqualified it from being <laughs> I'm serious. I I'm I don't think, think they're Vince booking a round robin tournament. This is a guy that didn't want you referencing things that happened like a month ago because the fans would forget it. I mean, it was just there was no way that that was going to be attempted or executed in anywhere in terms of a of a understandable way. Um, Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I I mean, I could see them doing it off the success of the Continental Classic. I mean, I I don't know if this would be something that they're just what what a great idea. It's like the template has been there for years uh, with 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 the G1. And I mean, but yeah, it's it's certainly possible. I, I could certainly see it. Yeah. Um, if it's proven to uh, this has proven to be, I think, an effective way of not just building to uh, 
potentially a new upper card or whoever wins this thing, but it's helped elevate other people. Like we, we talked about Mark Briscoe being one of those. I think, you know, Roosh is one of those. I think Andrade, Brody King, you know, are, are several people that have been elevated despite not, you know, probably not winning this entire thing. Let's go to Muggin up next, who says, first off, it's good that AEW has addressed Omega's belt with diverticulitis from the jump. The Continental Classic continues to put on strong wrestling, and the Swerve-Friedman interaction was terrific. That's a world title program for next year. Swerve is at a crossroads right now. Do you keep him a heel or turn him babyface considering how over the Nana Dance has gotten the last few months? I mean, whatever his uh, designation is, he is a babyface to the audience. For the time being, yes, I agree. Now, okay. We all felt like um, the, what, MJF grabbing the hood and simply suspecting Swerve was very much like, almost like a cartoonish, like, you know, leap of logic, right? Could it be a misdirect? And are we discounting Swerve potentially actually being the role of, of the devil? No, like, you can, you can add that name to, to I the list. Um, I, I, I will say this, if their idea is to really just pull back swerve and put him into this heel role. I think you're going to be actively fighting the crowd that they want to be to swerve. Like you've literally had this guy nearly kidnap a baby and they love this character. Well, they so are I, building to swerve versus MJF. Okay. And yeah. MJF is a baby face. Mm, what are you going to do there? I, I think it's one where it's, it's like a segment like tonight where I think you're going to have, your MJF fans, you're going to have your Swerve fans. And I think Tony likes leaning into that where it's not always so um, defining one role or the other that it's going to be two guys that are out there and it's going to be like each are going to shine to their fan bases and have the crowd kind of pick their their guy. And will making Swerve the devil negate that reaction? I mean, again, we saw Swerve kidnap or attempt to kidnap or threaten to kidnap Paige's baby. And I would say he went into that match certainly feeling like a heel, but still maintaining like a, a pretty big like reaction uh, by the end. And even if they revealed Swerve as the devil, I think it would only serve to, you know, heat up the program, first of all, and then let the audience pick who they want to win. You know, it'll, the, number one, does it heat up the program? And if you're trying to build to a revolution match with Swerve and MJF, maybe revealing Swerve as a devil is, is the easiest way you can to get, to get, get to that. It's one way to go. Like it's certainly possible. Jordan from the Bronx, ever since TNA, Samoa Joe has become highly adept to detecting evil ninja attacks. I don't understand why the devil wants the ROH tag titles. Whatever needs to happen to finally get to the reveal needs to happen within the next two weeks. Swerve and MJF's interaction has confirmed that Swerve is officially elevated to the main event mix. I can see him winning the triple threat next week, but losing the grand finals. I don't want Swerve inducting yet another introducing yet another new AEW title. I'd rather him go all the way up to the main belt and defeating the world champion. This tournament has been a success in elevating a few people on the roster. I wonder what happens to the likes of Roosh, Andrade, and Brody King when it's done. It was a great way to get them on TV weekly, but more often than not, there's a lack of follow-up with guys who start to heat up. Everyone can't get elevated at the same time, but AEW seems to be cursed with riches by having so many great talents available at any given time, but not enough room for them to be prominently featured at once. Who do you see coming out of the Blue League? My prediction is Eddie Kingston and Brian Dan Danielson in the final next week. I can see that being, yeah, a strong likelihood. And yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, we went over it. I think those would be your your two candidates that you would look at. And you either go for, I mean, there is a story with Eddie Kingston defending his titles to the end, but you could also have him come up short in the semifinal and and still kind of have that as a story coming out of it, like Eddie Kingston um, losing his belts after he risks them all. Um, 
and having something come out there like Brian Danielson is, you know, you have you have two very strong options uh, in Danielson and K as the favorites. To- Maybe you get a six way and everybody uh, gets into that thought. No, you know, very possible as well. I think more and more, the more uh, um, I, I really consider, I see Eddie Kingston winning the Blue League and then ultimately winning the entire thing. Like Kingston, I mean, the story is just, it's him being noble enough and, and confident enough that he's giving up his own championship. I think he's going to be involved in the final decision, uh, regardless of, you know, who wins it. But it's the triple crown. And who is the biggest All Japan Pro Wrestling mark on that roster? But Eddie Kingston. So, all of this as a way to basically make Eddie Kingston the modern day triple crown champion almost feels a bit too perfect to me to for them to pass up. Yeah. So we will get both semifinals next Wednesday because uh, there is no collision next week because the pay-per-view is on Saturday. Right. Okay. So that is uh that is all the latest. So there you go, everybody. That is Rewind to Dynamite. Uh, once again, a reminder to everyone that you can go to forum.postwrestling.com. We want to know what was your favorite wrestling experience of 2023. It's free to enter. AEW uh, Holiday Bash, December 20th, 2023 thread. Just post your most memorable wrestling experience of 2023. The three best answers uh, will be contacted uh, via direct message on the forum, and you will be off to see the Iron Claw. And it doesn't have to be a live experience. Experience. Like it could be anything in your life this year that was memorable that involved professional wrestling. All right. Anything. So go check that out. And uh, and as well, final day to get in your jingle submissions for the Post Wrestling Christmas Show Thursday by noon Eastern and your questions for the Ask Away Mailbag Show. Everything can be done at forum.postwrestling.com. So there you go. That is it. We will be back on Thursday with Ask Away, Friday with Rewind to SmackDown. And then coming up this weekend, we have a long and winding Royal Road with WH Park and guest Rich Kreich from Voices of Wrestling. Collision Course coming your way. And then the post-wrestling Christmas show drops on Sunday on Christmas Eve. Who is coming to the Christmas party? Tune in Sunday to find out. And that is it for us.